How's it going? It's fixing to be a lot better, man. Welcome back to Dazed and Confused 33 to 3rd. I'm your host, Jarf, and we are here for track 20. And let me first introduce our guest. She is the co-host of Cabin Minute Cast, Escape from New York Minute, and currently the producer of the Wednesday Wake Up podcast. Welcome, Molly. Hey, Molly. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for joining. I'm so excited. You said in our email beforehand that these minutes are the best so it sounds like you're excited too i am cool i'm so excited to to have obanion get his due here yes at last revenge so (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into it so it starts with obanion saying so we meet again to carl and it ends with a paint-soaked obanion driving off in disgrace so just desserts and a lot of what i'd like to talk about of course is the music and how it ties in to the Mm -hmm. storytelling so i was digging into the lyrics of this song so it's lord have mercy on my soul by black oak arkansas and it's It's a song from their eponymous debut. This is the second time they've showed up on the soundtrack. Last time it was way back in track four with their cover of Jim Dandy. But as I was reading the lyrics, I just wanted to test a theory with you. So let me give you this excerpt. I found out what means more to me than anything of this earth, to be ready for the judgment day, ready to face the truth. Okay, so we've got this song and it's got this theme of atonement, and then O'Banion's getting a little bit of payback for being an abusive bully. So I just wonder, do you think I'm reading too much into it to think that they are going for something thematic with the song? And otherwise, how do you think the song is helping them tell a story? Oh, that's a really great question. Well, I think the first line that we really hear super clear is I've walked through the halls of karma. Mm. And... That, I think, is really the biggest tie-in for this scene, because it's like, there is a cycle of, not to be all Buddhist and shit on you guys, but uh, there is a <laughs> there's a cycle of karma, right, where these freshmen get hazed, and there's been this cycle of hazing of freshmen. In fact, it's like, hey, we get to finally pass that along. So there's this really interesting, I think, break of karma, or not break of karma, but break of tradition, where you have somebody who's really taken those duties to kind of a mean level instead of like kind of a fun, you know, jesting sort of level. Like we see in the first couple of minutes where they call Mitch out, you know, while Mitch is in school and they're like, oh, dude, you're so screwed, basically, because like you got called out, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of it's this kind of funny, irreverent sort of moment. But, you know, Banyan obviously takes this to, you know, violent and abusive levels. But I think this is really just the karma of like, you took it too far. And there's a karmic cycle of these guys getting beat, you know. I like that take because all along, he has been the least popular character. And it's even more clear in this scene how much he is taking it too far. Because there's parts where he's about 
he thinks he's about to paddle Carl. And he really brings in this rapey vibe where he's <laughs> he, he's kind of glowering over him and asks him if he has gotten any licks yet. And he's like, oh, good, another cherry or something like that. And so it just, yeah, it's... And then after he gets the paint dropped on him, you really can see how none of his friends are coming over and asking him like, hey man, you okay? Oh man, that really, they really are pulling back from him and he is having his big baby temper tantrum and they are just kind of really freezing him out and like hanging back and like, just you've gone just over the edge and you're taking this way too seriously. So yeah, karma, I dig it. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I got clear on like what your your meaning was or like what you were really feeling about with this song well so in the song and it's i think your point about the line that we hear about karma being the biggest signpost because the part of the song that i was talking about where he's talking about facing judgment day you don't really hear that so it would be a bit more of a deep cut to think like oh that's right that's that song where it's someone thinking about having to face up for their sins and then bring that back into the scene. So that's where I was going, where, okay, O'Banion, you know, he's abused the kids, and now he has to face up for that. But Mm. I really liked your read of it better. But I actually really like yours, too. And that was something that, yeah, I didn't necessarily, like, get. Now that you're explaining that, that's a really good take. I think that's an equally strong take with it, that he's getting, you know, there's an atonement for sins there in that moment. I could see that as the choice when you were just picking out the song before putting it in. And then once it comes to editing it and you know, okay, well, we've got the kids and they're running from the rooftop and and getting away. And so we need this section of the song because it's got the right pace. So you could kind of drop out the lyrics that were the inspiration for it. But yeah, I think that we can like Maverick and Goose high five both of our (laughs) points. (laughs) Nice. All right, all right, all right. Well, let's pivot from the music to the fashion. Now, there are a lot of characters and some extras in the scene, but it's for some of them, it's blink and you'll miss them. Mm-hmm. So you can talk just about this scene or you could talk about anything in the movie. Whose fashion stood out to you and why? You know, I feel like it's a general fashion comment because I mean, and I'm not sure how old you are, but in relation, just FYI, I was, which was really funny is that I'm the same age that like Mitch and those kids are like when this came out. So I was like, literally, it was like me going into my, I mean, we had junior high, which I think these kids do have junior high as well. But so I'm kind of looking at it from like a fashion perspective. And if you were tooling around the 90s, there was this native 90s fashion, but there was also this resurgence of 70s fashion that was pretty big too, with bell bottoms and ringer tees and some of those types of like graphic tees. So it's it's interesting to look back on like Mitch is wearing like an Adidas, you know, trifoil shirt, you know, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the girls are wearing these kind of like roughly peasant blouses. But really, I mean, I love, I mean, it's really the bell bottoms for me because I got into bell bottoms like basically when I was like 14, 15 years old and my dad had, you know, plumped out and outgrew the, the bell bottoms that he had, but he kept them for some weird hoarder reason. <laughs> and then I got them. 
them. And so he's like, these are going to come back around. Right. Because now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, my, my dude was like, probably close to my age, like, you know, mid 40s ish and was like, I'm gonna hold on to this shit. So I'm like, why are you holding on to corduroy bell bottoms for like 22 years? I should really ask him that. <laughs> like, why was that a thing? <laughs> but I got them and I'm grateful. So for me, it's the bell bottoms. That's really the, the standout fashion. Sweet, sweet. Did you notice Parker Posey's bell bottoms at the very beginning? Oh, yeah. Like the rainbow. Oh, man. Oh, I love everything rainbow too like i've got rainbow socks and I, I love rainbows in general so i'm mad respect for 70s for that and there's um like baseball shirts too mm -hmm. spacing on the redhead kid's name who's like the high school kid who's like driving around but he's wearing a baseball tee baseball long sleeve shirt that was a thing oh yeah baseball long sleeve shirt absolutely yep. how about you what's yeah your, i think uh... you're talking about benny benny thank you yes because you you met like the older redhead boy right yes yep yep Benny. Benny. You were saying, how about me? Yeah. What was the, what's the fashion that speaks to you? Well, I, I dig the country elements. Oh. So I like the overall aesthetic and the things that really scream 70s, like the paisley shirts and the bell bottoms that you mentioned. But I also like that they weave in overalls and, and just the things that are not the, obvious choice mm. for a period piece because i think it gives it more of a authentic texture absolutely yeah that's a really good point and this is texas too so there's a little bit of that like flavor to this too yeah there's a shirt that simone wears at the beginning that is just it's kind of a corny shirt with some pandas on it. Yes. And I like that as a choice too, because it's like, okay, not everybody in the 70s dressed as a super cool disco queen. Mm -hmm. Some of them were kind of just like, oh, I think that shirt's cute because it's got pandas on. That it felt like more of a natural character choice. I mean, I don't like the shirt. It's, <laughs> I just, it seems like it should be hanging on a hanger in the Salvation Army, but I like it as a choice. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really cute too. It's not it's not my personal aesthetic, but I can see somebody even wearing it today though. Oh yeah. It would be more ironic. This was its first time around. Pre-irony. Yeah. I could picture it on TikTok right now. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think um Slater has a a weed shirt. Which is, I mean, I, grant, you know, I wasn't around the 70s, but I mean, I even remember in the 90s, you were pretty hard up to find a weed shirt floating around, you know? Yeah, and he straight up wears it to school. Yeah. It's a very bold choice. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but I don't think there's any shame in Slater's game. Mm-mm. No, no. I got lots of love for Slater. So you situated us a little bit in your high school, junior high, high school experience being in the 90s. So I don't know if there were any shenanigans like this in your high school, but if they made a movie about your high school days, what would play on the soundtrack? A lot of 
Well, I mean, a lot of industrial music, honestly, because that's, I mean, Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spiral came out right around this time. Uh, so that was a that was a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. There'd be a lot of REM's Automatic for the People. That was a that was a burner. Some Front Two Four Two, some Skinny Puppy, <laughs> some KMFDM. <laughs> Is there any song that you can think of that's a one to one for the song in this scene? Either the vibe or the themes. Oh, Karma Police by Radiohead. There we go. Yeah, I can picture a much darker, much sadder version of, <laughs> of, of Revenge. <laughs> right, because this does have this, the beat of this song, this Black Oak, Arkansas, has a, it's got kind of a caper beat to it. Mm-hmm. Like someone's doing something naughty. Yeah, and that's why, that's why my whole idea of, was the song brought in to underscore the themes? That's why it was a question, because... The counterpoint could be, well, no, we just wanted a song with this, as you said, caper beat. So it's like, they just pulled off the prank and like, wahoo, now they're running away. And so, you know, in a lesser movie, it wouldn't even be a real song. It would just be like banjo music, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is an, I, God, this was an epic soundtrack. It's really making me notice how many other movies don't have the, this many great needle drops. Mm-hmm. And there's even movies where you think like, oh, great soundtrack. And then you actually check out the soundtrack and it's mm, three great songs. And then a lot of like really mediocre, basic, synthesized and like weak guitar to, to like string everything together. Yeah. Yeah. Because music is expensive. It is. Yeah. And it takes coordination and professionals to coordinate that and music releases. And that costs, as you're saying, that costs a bunch of money. But I feel like there was a heyday to the soundtrack. And I feel like it's been a long time since we've had just like a soundtrack that can be sold on its own, probably because of just this technology too, because I can't think of a, a soundtrack that's come out recently that that really rivals something like this. I don't know if you have something that you think that's come out in maybe the last five, six years that, you know, has has as much impact as this one does. No, I really don't. And it's probably just coinciding with the overall downturn in the recording industry that there just Mm. isn't as much of a market for that. But yeah, this, even for its time, I think this, this is an outlier because I know the studio didn't want to pay for all of this licensing. They just wanted to hire a contemporary nineties band to do covers of these songs. Mm. And that that's really more the norm. Oh yeah. Certainly cheaper. But he won. He wanted that authentic '70s flavor, and he fought for it, and he got it. And that's part of what makes this movie special, in my opinion. Oh, hugely! 
Yeah, I mean, so much of this, and and it's so interesting to see this because it's been a few years since then since I've looked at this material. But how much of the soundtrack is impactful, which is why it's really cool that you're taking that frame for this, yeah, you know, for this basically movies by minute. I don't know any other project that's taken it really from a music perspective. Thank you for saying that. I I will admit I'm not the first to take that approach. For one, our mutual friend Tierney did American Graffiti one song at a time. Oh, she did do that. Okay. So yeah, that's that was where I got the inspiration. Okay, cool. It's a fabulous way of doing it, especially with this particular material where it's so... I would say visceral and integral to the storytelling, you know, and there's this real nostalgia from using it. So I feel like it just makes the whole movie much more impactful too. Well, thank you for saying that. And it does work out technically well because every needle drop is a little vignette and it does kind of break them up nicely. So Mm -hmm. just as I've been thinking ahead and wondering, do I want to cover another movie like this? And then (laughs) I I see how they space out the music and it's like, "Mm, no, it doesn't quite work because you might have one song and then not another song for 30 minutes, not like a real song. Right. By the way, I'm not dissing studio musicians. I know it's a legit job but yeah yeah, it's just you know it's not necessarily the songs you remember yeah i want to say it's lost boys who uses a cover a doors cover in it Mm -hmm. it's not the actual um it's not the actual song yeah people are strange men yep yeah yeah that's funny my wife and i were just talking about that original versus that cover the other day oh that's interesting yeah i actually prefer the echo and the bunny men myself how about you (sighs) you know oddly enough like Actually, that's a really good that's a really good question. Just a cover is being better than the originals. I like them equally the same. Nice. And this is an interesting parallel with our mutual friend Heidi, because all the way back in episode one, we were talking about Aerosmith's Walk This Way. Because mm-hmm. the first track, of course, is Sweet Emotion, right? And and I told her that I preferred the Run DMC Walk This Way. <laughs> and, awesome. and And then I asked her, which does she prefer? And she said, the great thing is we don't have to decide. Doesn't that sound just like her? Oh, my God. To a T. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Heidi. <laughs> okay, so, well, you said that these minutes are the best. Is there a moment in this scene that spoke to you? Yes, I had real fear. For Carl, I'm like, oh my god, he's, you know, because again, it's been a while since I've seen this. And I'm like, oh Mm. my gosh, like you're, there's this, because Ben Affleck is really hulking, you know, he's twice the size, you know, he's a tall dude to begin with. And I'm just like, this poor kid's just gonna get the, and and he, you know, as you were talking about, he really takes his time with it. It's like, especially vicious. Mm -hmm. So I, I was a little bit surprised that I had actual tension and fear and concern for him. But then it works out fine. And it's cool. (laughs) yeah it's a good release (laughs) yes well karma yeah but yeah he really does hulk over him and they build up the tension nicely because he takes a swing but then he pulls back like ah 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 not yet and and then they kind of build it up until he gets the paint dumped on him so it's pretty sweet it is pretty sweet and i love that he breaks his uh his spank stick out of frustration <laughs> at the end that also is just delightful it's just so over the edge for him it just ruins all fun for future times it's just 
beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, his acting in the temper tantrum is really good. And he's just a, he's a young actor at this point. But his physicality is great. I mean, it's cringeworthy and scary, but he's really going for it. And all of his movements are violent and erratic. And he keeps getting in everybody's faces. And it's a lot of... I'll kick your fucking ass right here (laughs) kind of thing. And which is always funny to me whenever someone yells at extras in a movie because it's like, okay, you're just picking on the people who can't talk back because they're extras and they're not allowed to have lines. It's like going around and beating up NPCs in a video game. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) but yeah that moment where he just smashes his paddle on the ground in frustration and he's just like flailing his arms around and cussing and swearing and everybody's everybody has stopped they're not talking they're just watching but they're watching sort of with bemused expressions like whoa man okay and then as soon as he pulls out they all start laughing at him which is great and i don't know if you caught pink's line his little diss as albanian pulls away Mm -mm. so he got soaked with paint and then he got into his duster and as he pulls away pink says looks like albanian got his paint job oh yeah burn oh nice i totally missed that that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) well There was one more question that I wanted to ask you. So obviously not a fan of a Banyan. Right. Otherwise, what character in Dazed and Confused is the most or least like who you were growing up? I feel like I was a a combo of a Mike and a Slater. Mm. I think I had significant, probably when I was like closer to maybe 17, 18, I had closer to... To, to Slater traits, but yeah, there's some, <laughs> uh, I have some appreciation there. Uh, and I just That's feel like- That's an interesting combination. I want to hear yeah. more about it because Mike, <laughs> because they seem to be polar opposites to me because Mike has so much anxiety and self-doubt and restlessness Mm-hmm. And Slater is so at ease in his own skin. I mean, obviously it helps to be baked all day. Yes. But he he just is so mellow and fun-loving. So yeah, can you say more about how you're both? I see a little bit of anxious, neurotic intellectualism in Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I just want to dance. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, at the same time, I feel like I have Slater or I had Slater traits too, which was this keep it super easeful, keep it relaxed. You know, as a as a teenager, I discovered the marijuana and that was a delight. <laughs> and so I think that I was, you know, pretty raw, raw about that, you know, right around, you know, this this guy's age. So, yeah. So I feel like I it's, it's like two parts of my personality. Yeah, you're not the first guest who has been a combo of a couple of characters, mm. which which makes sense because they are kind of, and I think this is what makes them iconic characters, but they're, they're extremes and slight exaggerations while still feeling genuine, but no, no one person is so completely Slater or so completely Mike, especially with the perspective of an adult and you can look back and see like, oh, you know, I just had anxiety, that kind of thing. Mm, Yeah. 
Yeah. But I definitely had a lot of anxiety when I was that age and in high school. I think I didn't really know what it was at the time. You know, I think it took a few years to be like, oh, okay, that's that. All right. Got it. You know, but yeah, I think at the same time, there was a lot of like, fuck it in me. And and let's <laughs> let's just issue authority and, and do things that, you know, are, are edgy too as a kid. And I, I appreciate that about Slater, his his stoner easefulness, if you will. You know. Absolutely, man. How about you? What's what, which uh, character or characters do you associate with? Well, as I've mentioned before, I relate to Pink in that he he's cool with the stoners, he's cool with the jocks, mm-hmm. he can kind of cross those boundaries. And and then as we get a bit deeper into it, I I also I can see the mic in me too maybe less so now but definitely when i was younger and and had not that i don't have anxiety now but i think it's it's different when you have a name for it and it's like okay yes that is my anxiety giving me that thought pattern and and then you can kind of address it that way but yeah Mm -hmm. definitely when i i was younger and and also having this sort of little intellectual crew that what you do for fun is sit around and and overthink and overtalk everything so so yeah those two yeah i i resonate with that a lot well this has been a lot of fun before we wrap up i wanted to make sure i gave you an opportunity to to plug your projects cool uh well right now um in the the podcast world i am producing a meditation podcast called Wednesday Wake Up. I think it's a really poignant podcast because I think it really deals with modern day issues. And even though there's a, a real Buddhist slant to it, I think there's also a psychological slant. So if you're somebody who's a practicing Buddhist, I think you'll get a lot out of it. If you're somebody who's looking for some psychological support and some realism and some down-to-earthness i think that you'll get a lot out of it too so it's wednesdaywakeup.com nice and are you the host as well or are you producing and there are another host or rotating i am producing but it's primarily hosted by gregory maloof and he is a dharma teacher within a theravada lineage and he's also a mindfulness coach and a therapist Awesome. Cool. Cool. Uh, Well, thanks again for joining. And it's always fun talking to you. And I'm glad that I could bring you back for this project that clearly this movie speaks to you. And I appreciate what you brought to the conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was such a delight. And I had such a good time podcasting with you before. And you were just such an amazing, kind sport, because I think you took a lot of crap last time on Mission Impossible. And you just like rolled with it in such a a fantastic manner and just it was completely delightful and and i love your take on this and uh this has just been a a very efficient enjoyable time so thank you all right i'll catch you later molly thank you so much not to worry there's a new fiesta in the making join us at the moon tower our facebook listeners group until next time just keep living man l-i-v-i-n The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content. This world is a peaceful one. Plains, mountains, swamps, pines, cicadas sing, rivers flow, magic thrums through the air, and all of it's surrounded by a single massive wall, as ancient as history itself. So, you know, 
not that ancient. Thanks for the loss. Prehistoric ain't all that long ago. Oh well, life is good, and assuming you don't mind the looming threat of a mysterious skeletal society. Side character quest. A D&D adventure, one player at a time. Some worlds need a hero. This one? Eh, might need a bit more than that.